on the field, inside the clubhouse, and everything in between. This is Brewers Weekly, live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Radio City. Here's Matt Pauley. A good Thursday night. Welcome in. It's kind of cold outside. That doesn't matter. We talk baseball on Thursday nights here on WTMJ. Heavy for the next hour till 9 o'clock. Talking all things Brewers, all things Major League Baseball. If you want to get in on the conversation, you can do so. You can call or text the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line, 855-616-1620. That's 855-616-1620. You can also tweet into the program at Matt Pauley on air, M-A-T-T. P-A-U-L-E-Y on air. Got a lot to get into this week. I, I always worry. Like uh, the, I, I'm just a, I, I worry about stuff in life. I spend way too much time worrying. That's something I need to get better at. I'm always worried. It's like the moment this week's show gets over, I'm going to be like, what, what are we going to talk about next week? What, what's, there, what's there going to be next week? And then slowly stuff's going to build up. Uh, we have a lot to get into. Devin Williams winning Rookie of the Year. That's clearly a big deal. We did not have a show last week, uh, Thursday Night Football, uh, so we've got two weeks' worth of, uh, of stuff to kind of get into. We'll talk about the Brewers. Uh, slight change that they made on the uh, coaching staff, but probably even the bigger news from the, the change, and not taking anything away from the from the staff reassignments that, that took place, was the, the moves that were not made, and we'll touch on that coming up uh, later on. Rob Manfred commented on... Whether or not there are going to be fans in the stands next year, and I'll tell you this, I'll, I'll, I'll give away the, the punchline now. He's planning on there being fans in the stands next year. And basically said Major League Baseball can't survive another year without fans. So in municipalities where it's going to be allowed, they are going to have fans in the stands. Now, we don't know what anything is going to look like by the time baseball is here. But while NBA venues are already announcing that there won't be fans in the stands when uh, the season gets started. So I saw the Lakers made that announcement uh, the other day. College basketball team, I I think it was Duke the other day, said no fans going to be allowed in their games. Um, Locally, we've seen college basketball teams in the area say no fans, at least for the time being. So... Uh, that's a while while we're while we're seeing fans at some football games, some NFL games, some college games. Uh, we're also seeing areas of no fans in the stands, and that's not something that is going to end anytime soon. But for baseball, they want to have fans, and they they say that of their overall revenue, attendance, and everything that is connected to attendance. So we're we're not just talking about price of ticket. We're talking about the, the beer, the nachos, the hot dog, the parking, the jersey that's bought inside the team store, whatever it might be. All that accounts for about 40% of their revenue over the course of a year. And that's not team-specific. That's Major League Baseball-specific. I'm sure it fluctuates from, you know, in, in bigger markets like in New York or like in Chicago, that percentage is probably less because, just simply because of how much money they're making via their, their television rights and things like that. But that would also tell you that in markets like Milwaukee, it's probably higher than 40%. And that's a big number. And to Major League Baseball will tell you how much money they lost this year, the operating losses, and we'll get all that coming up uh, later on. But fans in the stands, that's that's the bottom line. I say all that to say uh, if you are somebody that's going to be comfortable going to a baseball game, 
that opportunity will probably be there for you as long as municipalities will allow it. Who knows what it's going to look like in this country, in the state of Wisconsin, when Brewers opening day rolls around. But uh, that's the good news. Major League Baseball is going forward like there's going to be fans in the stands. want to touch on, and this isn't so much Brewers related, but in a in a way it is. There was, a, there was an ownership change in Major League Baseball where Steve Cohen took over the New York Mets. And Cohen now is uh, pretty much the richest owner in Major League Baseball. They brought in a lot of wealth to the group of Major League Baseball ownership when he was approved and when he officially took over the team. And he's looking to make a splash. So that impacts the National League. That impacts the National League, I think, in a big way. Because he's going to be willing to spend money, but spend money in a smart way. And in an offseason where it feels like teams are not going to be spending money, there might even be that much more of an opportunity for the Mets to go become very, very competitive in a relatively short amount of time. So we'll touch on that coming up later on in the program as well. If you do want to join us, you can do so. Again, the phone number to call or text. We call it the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line, 855-616-1620. That's 855-616-1620. You can also tweet into the program at Matt Pauley on air, M-A-T-T-P-A-U-L-E-Y on air. The significance of Devin Williams winning the Rookie of the Year. We'll get into it next here on WTMJ. Brewers Weekly on WTMJ. Quite the week for Devin Williams. He won the National League Rookie of the Year Award on Monday night. Tonight, by the way, the uh, MVP awards were given out. Freddie Freeman of the Braves wins it on the National League side of things. Williams did get a vote. He, uh, He got one I guess, 10th place vote, essentially, because I believe everybody votes 1 through 10 if you're voting, if you're one of the uh, baseball writers who's assigned that award to vote for. Your ballot goes 1 through 10 with your first person in first place getting 10 votes, person in second place getting 9 votes, so on and so forth. So if you get one 10th place vote, essentially, you get one point, and uh, that's what Devin Williams got. So uh, he showed up. He showed up on the uh, the MVP balloting. That doesn't happen for many guys. And uh, But more importantly, no disrespect to getting one vote in the MVP voting. More importantly, he was named the National League Rookie of the Year on Monday night. I do think, I do think the 60-game schedule helped him. Because with a relief pitcher, you hear me say this all the time during the course of a season when I'm doing Brewers extra innings. Every single time, I say this, every single time that bullpen door swings open, there's a gamble that goes along with it because the pitcher who runs and takes the mound might just be having a bad day. That's that's just the way it is. Everybody runs into a bad day at some point in time. And it's hard to believe that over a 162-game schedule that Williams at some point in time would not have had a bad day. But in a 60-game schedule, he never had a bad day. He gave up one run in his second outing of the year. That's not a bad day. It's not a good day, but it's not a bad day. He never had a bad day. Never. It's it's incredible uh, what he was able to do. And he has a .33 ERA, striking out 53 in just 27 innings. Now, I don't want to get into this too much because I feel like we're getting into the weeds, but something that was brought up on social media, and I'm, I'm I'm not trying to come to the defense 
of people who were voting for this. But I think it's worth talking about for a moment because I think it, I think it put kind of an exclamation mark on how notable it is that Williams won Rookie of the Year. Williams is the first pitcher to ever win the award without either recording a save or making a start. So every Rookie of the Year pitcher who has ever won the award has either made at least one start during the year, so has been a starter, or has had saves, meaning that they were a closer. He was neither a starter nor a closer, and he becomes the first Rookie of the Year to not have either of those those things and still win it. The, the two Milwaukee voters, and, and this was well chronicled on social media. I'm not trying to call out anybody, and I think both of them do a very good job. One of them comes on this show fairly often, and uh, Andrew Wagner from the Wisconsin State Journal, the other being Tom Hodricourt, uh from the Journal Sentinel. Neither of them voted for Williams in first place. Uh, I don't. I, I saw Hodricourt basically said on social media that he overthought it, and if he had it to do again, he would vote Williams in first. I don't have a... And, I think Williams was deserving, but if I would have had a vote where I would have had a hard time with this, and I don't know if this went through their minds at all. I just don't. But I know if I would have had a vote, if I was a member of the Baseball Writers Association and I was voting for this award, what would sneak into my head being a Milwaukee-based writer when never in the history of the award has someone with the profile of Devin Williams won this. If I'm a Milwaukee-based writer, I do think to myself, am I going to look like a homer? Am I going to look like I have a bias towards the team that I cover by voting Williams in first? It was it was unprecedented. This had never happened before that somebody with his profile had won the Rookie of the Year. And I would argue, and I think I'm right, I would argue that it was actually a lot easier for people outside of Milwaukee to vote for Williams because they didn't have to worry about that. They could just look at the raw numbers. You don't know when you're voting for these things who everybody else is voting for. And I think that just it it goes to kind of punctuate just the remarkable season that he had that nobody, nobody had ever won this award without either having a save or without having a start. So I don't. I don't blame either of those voters for not voting Devin Williams first. It, and the the other the other players who were up for Rookie of the Year. Don't get me wrong; they were. This was not like a, just this landslide sort of deal. They they had good seasons and they earned the votes that they got. It's just something that had never ever happened before, and it, part of it just shows the way baseball is changing, where maybe there's more respect going towards those relief pitchers who don't cover the ninth inning, uh, and then just the other side of it, I mean, just the numbers were ridiculous. Struck out 53 in 27 innings and gave up one earned run all season. That kind of speaks for itself. If you want to join the program, you can do so. 855-616-1620. 855-616-1620. That is the AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. You can also tweet into the program at Matt Pauley on air. M-A-T-T-P-A-U-L-E-Y on air. Steve Cohen now owns the Mets. How does that impact the National League? I'll tell you next on WTMJ. Back with more Brewers Weekly after this. It's Brewers Weekly on WTMJ. Eight five 
is the Yankee Net Mortgage Talk and Text Line if you want to join the program. Steve Cohen uh, had his, the sale of the Mets to him officially approved this week. And for me, this makes the Mets scary. And the, there's a handful of teams that you look at as being teams that are going to consistently contend. And the way you consistently contend uh, year in, year out, and, and I'm really talking about like contending at the highest level. Like I would argue that the Brewers are a team that are contending for a playoff spot every year. I think that's pretty clear in the David Stearns era. But I think you can also argue that maybe they're not contending for a World Series championship every year. With all due respect to the team and what they accomplished this year and getting to the postseason, it, it never really felt like they were a threat for the World Series. You know, a team like the Dodgers, th- they are a threat for the World Series just about every year. A team even like the Yankees. And it's not just about money. Money plays into it, but it's not just about money. The way you are a consistent championship contender year in, year out, it is a combination of money and good decision-making. We see teams be willing to spend tons of money, but they are horrendous decision-makers, and they don't contend. Look at the Angels. That, that's a great example right there. Teams that are It's not just about spending money. And we also see teams that don't spend money that are fantastic decision makers that have teams that are occasionally or you know sometimes contending for a World Series. I think you can put the Brewers in that category. Uh, they got to Game 7 of the NLCS a few years ago. Last year, uh, they, they were looking very strong for a while, ended up losing the wild card game. They, they, they kind of had that midseason lull. The, the Tampa Bay Rays are another example of that. The Oakland A's are an example of that. But if you have a team that makes good decisions and is willing to spend money and you can bring those two things together, then you've got an organization that can go contend for a championship almost every single year. Not win a championship every single year, but at least contend. Have those championship aspirations on a year-in, year-out basis. And quite honestly, I don't think there's a handful of teams like that right now in baseball. And with Cohen's ownership of the Mets... I expect them to be a team like that. Uh, Sandy Alderson is brought back into the organization. He's going to oversee the baseball operation. They're going to bring somebody else in. I I know they interviewed, I think it was Michael Hill from the Marlins. They're going to bring in good baseball people. That seems to be one of the goals that they have. The the, the Wilpon ownership of the Mets, they were really good at making bad decisions. And I think the bad decision-making is going to go away. And then they've got now Major League Baseball's richest owner. And in his press conference this past week, he basically said, look, I make money on my other businesses. I didn't buy the Mets to make money. And that what that means is they're going to go spend money. He's not going to – I think he even said in his press conference that they're not going to spend money like a drunken sailor. But they're going to be willing to spend money. And how they handle this offseason where there's – not, I mean, JT Ramuto is a is a high profile free agent. DJ Lemayhew to a to a somewhat lesser extent, and I feel bad saying that about Lemayhew because he was uh, he was one of the finalists for American League MVP. But this is not the type of free agent class that we have seen in baseball here over the last few years. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. The Yankee Net Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We'll go to James on the South Side who's given us a call. Hey, James, thanks for calling. You're on WTMJ. 
Yeah, um, uh, the thing I was calling about is uh, on these free agents, I haven't heard a, a thing about these guys at all, any of them um, uh, hooking up with any teams. Are we going to see that before the, uh, the end of this year, or are we going to see that before the, how do you say the word, the spring, uh, you know, spring training and stuff like that? The other couple questions I was going to ask, you, get, you opened my mouth a little bit more, is um, I see that... Uh, with our owner here, that he rel- is relinquishing some of his power and stuff like that too, is that going to mean that uh, we're going to maybe see less of of him around in that? Uh, that he's relinquishing his power, and are we going to see a, a maybe another sixty game or eighty game season compared to one hundred sixty two games? Uh, maybe that, that that's the way baseball is going to be going in the future. Yeah, James, that's a lot of stuff right there. I appreciate your phone call. Let's hit on a few of them. Um, I, there's been there's been a couple of very low profile free agent signings in baseball so far. Uh, nothing that's you know really a big deal at all. And I think it's going. To, I think we're, the the market is going to be incredibly slow. Uh, I I I doubt that there is much action before the new year. And I I doubt there's much action before February first. To actually be honest, I think we're going to be very close because here's one of those situations that. The more knowledge you have, the better position you are in to be able to make decisions. And if it is clear, you know, the, the vaccine news this past week was, was good news, but we still don't really have a timeline on when that can go into mass production, right? And, or even if it can, it hasn't been approved yet. Uh, if all of a sudden we wake up tomorrow morning and that thing is is ready to roll and within four or five months or something which I, which could be crazy this thing is going to be distributed then all of a sudden major league baseball owners can go forward with the idea that there's going to be a lot more fans in the stands and we're going to talk about fans coming up in our next segment which certainly plays into this answer but if if things continue on the path they're on right now and if, if for if some sort of if something goes wrong with that vaccine where there's all of a sudden a side effect that pops up and it doesn't get approved and we're still in this position and fans aren't going to be in for next year, then that's going to change the the economic situation for owners. So they're already in a tough spot because the revenue was so far down this past year and they don't know what revenue is going to be this year. And that's just going to result in a really, really slow free agent market. And I think it's going to be a lot of one-year deals. The owners clearly are, are going to want to go with one-year deals because it reduces their risk. And I think players are going to want to go with one-year deals as well because they're going to feel like they can't maximize their value in this offseason. So go get as much as you can for one year and do it again next year. That's what I would do if I was a player. If I was not at the end of my career where I needed, where, where, where I desperately needed one final multi-year deal. I, I absolutely would be looking for a one-year deal this year and, tr- and try it again uh, next year. So, no, I don't I – th- we're going to be doing this show every single Thursday night, and I don't think we're going to have much news in terms of players uh, player signing. As far as the, the number of games that are played next year, they want to play 162. They absolutely want to play 162. They need to play 162, or they'll tell you they need to play 162 from a financial standpoint. And that plays into the discussion about fans in the stands. And we're going to get into that coming up in just a moment. So stick with us. Some uh, comments made by Major League Baseball Commissioner Rob Manford about the plans for next year when it comes to having attendance, actually having fans attending games. We'll get into it in just a moment. This is Brewers Weekly. 
This is Brewers Weekly on WTMJ. Brewers Weekly continues here on WTMJ. My name is Matt Pauley. If you want to join in on the conversation, we welcome your phone calls, your text messages, and your tweets. 855-616-1620 is the Net Mortgage Talk and text line. You can also tweet in at Matt Pauley on air. Doug and Baraboo asked if I would bring up the rumor of David Stearns going to the Mets. That rumor has been out there for like three years that the Mets are interested in Stearns. In fact, at one point in time, I believe the Mets may have asked for permission to talk to Stearns, and they may have been turned down by the Brewers. I don't remember off the top of my I feel like that happened, but that's one of those things where if I say that happened, somebody could correct me and say, no, that didn't. But I feel like that happened at one point in time. He's from that area, so anytime that they've got and, – and he is so well-respected across baseball, I think anytime they are, they are hiring baseball operations people that – Stearns' name is going to be brought up there. But at the same time, so far he has not done or said anything to indicate that he is going to uh, going to jump ship and head to the Mets. Now, you know, who knows? Crazier things have happened, right? And especially if they're, they've got an owner who's going to spend all kinds of money, and if they're really interested in him, maybe something happens. But so far nothing has happened to indicate that. The one place the Brewers are really well set up, if David Stearns were to ever leave, uh, you would assume that they would promote Matt Arnold. Arnold was one of the people who uh, uh, interviewed for the Angels GM job. He did not get it. He's interviewed for other uh, GM positions. So if Stearns was ever to leave, you'd have Arnold right there. And if Stearns doesn't leave, Arnold's not going to be here forever. He's going to get a GM job across Major League Baseball at some point in the relatively near future. There was a piece written in The Athletic, or on The Athletic. On The Athletic, it's a website, right? It's on The Athletic, not really in the newspaper, on a website. right? Greg, am I right there? I'm trying to think. Yeah, it would be, why wouldn't it be in a website? No, I guess it's on a website, but why is it in a newspaper? Oh, because you can physically open it? Yeah, you could hold the newspaper. Like if, If you're reading it in the actual paper copy of the newspaper, it's in the newspaper. If you're going to like jsonline.com, it's on on the website, right? Can't argue with that. Okay, so do you? When was the last time you picked up an actual newspaper? Oh man, I don't know. Does like my college one count? Who even we, that? Uh, <laughs> we get the Wednesday Saturday, no, the Wednesday Sunday delivery at the Pauly household just because of the coupons. Oh, okay. So there's a yeah. there's an underlying cause there. I liked it. I like it. Yeah. I, I, the idea is that you can have enough coupons from the Sunday newspaper that it makes up for the money that you're spending for the actual paper cut. It's always kind of sad when I when I walk out to get the newspaper. You've got the little newspaper slot, and we're like the only people that actually get the paper newspaper. It's kind of sad for me. Anyway, I digress. <laughs> so on The Athletic, uh, a story that was written today. Uh, reads the league cites between 2.7 billion and 3.1 billion dollars in operating losses during the 2020 season depending on the accounting method numbers that are typically difficult to independently verify the players association has acknowledged the challenging environment while saying it does not accept the league's numbers at face value so if i'm going to explain that to you or translate that to you what it's saying is the league had operating losses they want to tell you somewhere between 2.7 billion and 3.1 billion it probably wasn't that much because the own players say it wasn't that much and that's where it's at but it was still it, it was a big hit it was a big hit this past year 
Rob Manfred was part of a uh, like a a talk where NHL Commissioner Gary Bettman, I think NBA Commissioner Adam Silver was there as well, and uh, they talked about the idea of playing games without fans again next season or playing a shortened season next year. And Manford basically said, can't do it. Uh, I'll read you a quote from him. He said, as we look forward, we will be more aggressive about having fans in ballparks. Uh, When asked about not having fans in the stands, he said, I don't think that's a tenable position for us going forward. We're going to have to allow the clubs to operate safely. We're obviously going to have league-wide protocols of local public health authorities allow for fans. I think you're going to see fans in the ballpark. Now, will it be full stadiums? I kind of doubt that, but we do think it's important, and it's why we did it in the World Series and the LCS, to get people accustomed to uh, that you can go to these live events with appropriate protocols, pods of people, social distancing, masks, and do it safely. Baseball baseball this year ran a 60-game schedule. And if you remember, if we go back to the very ugly negotiation between players and owners, players wanted more games than 60. Owners, Manfred, wanted less games than 60. And the reason was money. They'll, they'll tell you the reason was safety. And they'll tell you now, in hindsight, they'll say, well, look, everything that happened, you know, six, they, they weren't going to be able to have a season of more than 60 games anyways. And I think that's a little bit revisionist history. They probably could have had a season longer than 60 games had they started it sooner, but the negotiation went on too long. Essentially, what was happening was baseball was losing money on regular season games, and they made money on postseason games. So the idea was to reduce the number of regular season games and increase the number of postseason games as a way to create the best possible financial situation for Major League Baseball. Now, that's not going to be an option next year unless things go really, really, really badly in terms of our public health situation. And I guess I shouldn't just gloss over that, considering where we're at right now. Maybe that's more of a possibility than I'm willing to uh, allow it to be. But I I tend to think that next March we're going to be in a better position than we were last March. Next April we'll be in a better position than we were this past April. Next June, last June, you get it. So I I I would assume, and maybe this is a dangerous assumption, I would assume that there's going to be a 162 game schedule. So if there's a 162-game schedule, that means players are going to be paid for 162 games. And that means the the owners need revenue from attendance. That's the bottom line. We don't know what's going to happen in the local municipalities. You look at what's happening in the state of Wisconsin right now, I have a hard time believing that the Brewers want to play a game tomorrow. They would allow fans into Miller Park. But we don't know what it's going to look like when we get to that point of, uh, of of the calendar. And maybe at that point things will be turned around enough that it will be allowed. But if you are concerned about fans not being allowed into games next year, really where your, your concern should not be with Major League Baseball at this point. Uh, your concern should not be that baseball is not going to allow fans in. Your concern should be about the public health situation in Wisconsin, uh, your concern should be about governmental regulation connected to it. Because Major League Baseball and Rob Manfred has made it very clear 
that they do want to have fans in the stands next year, that they need it. Again, referring to not playing without fans as a as a situation that's not tenable for Major League Baseball. Major League Baseball estimating that about 40% of their revenue league-wide comes to having fans at games. And, um, and I would guess, I would assume, I think this is a safe bet, that that's actually a little bit higher for a market like Milwaukee, where the attendance and the, the ticket sales and everything accounts for a higher percentage of the revenue over the course of a year. Rob Manfred also talked about the the interest in the game and how not having fans in the stands, the impact it had on overall interest in Major League Baseball. And it was something that I was not expecting, but it's also something that I agree with. I'll explain what he said and why I agree with it. We'll do that next. It's Brewers Weekly on WTMJ. Brewers Weekly with Matt Foley on WTMJ. Continuing with the comments that Rob Manford made at a uh, symposium, I believe it was earlier today. If it wasn't earlier today, it was yesterday. But it doesn't really matter when he made the comments. So when baseball came back, I thought that the overall interest was going to be at unprecedented levels. That we were so starved for sports and baseball essentially was the first sport back by about a week, that we were so starved for sports that people were going to be so incredibly locked in to what was going on. A lot of people shared those thoughts that I had. I was wrong. They were wrong. Interest in baseball was down this year. And Rob Manford talked about that. I'm going to read some more from uh, from this piece in The Athletic that was really well done. Uh, I... It reads, Manfred said that Major League Baseball normally thinks of its business as two products, the live game experience in the stadium and then its media business encompassing the broadcast and other content. This year, traditional television viewership declined for Major League Baseball as well as other leagues, and Manfred believes the inability to attend games contributed. So this kind of goes back to what we were talking about in the last segment, the motivations for Major League Baseball to have fans in the stands. Not only does it impact revenue in stadium, ticket sales, concessions, parking, all that stuff. Uh, Manford believes it extends beyond that from a revenue standpoint. Here's the quote from Manford. But one thing that became really clear to us this year, when you don't have that live product, people don't have that excitement of going to the ballpark. It affects how many games they watch on TV. And then some of the ratings numbers about the television broadcast this year, just to back up that point. Major League Baseball viewership was down 25% this past year for all nationally televised regular season games compared to a year before in 2019. The 2020 regular season on regional sports networks, so that's like Fox Sports Wisconsin, ended with the 29 U.S.-based clubs averaging a 3.0 rating that was down 12% from a year before. The division series averaged 1.823 million dollars, or 1.823 million viewers, excuse me, a 40% drop from the previous year's 3.052 million. The league championship series 
averaged 3.6 or so million viewers, 31% dip from the previous years of 5.2 million. And the World Series averaged about 9.8 million viewers. That was 30% lower than the 14.1 million in 2019. Now, you can certainly look at some of the matchups and things like that, market sizes of teams that were participating, and uh, and look and see how that impacted. But I would agree. I, I just from doing the post game show, I can tell you that I thought that um, that our interaction with people after games this past season was down a little bit compared to what it normally is. I think this is more true even in Milwaukee than it would be in other places. I, I, I talked to so many people. I can't tell you how many people I talked to that said they weren't really paying attention to what the Brewers were doing, and they didn't really know why, but they 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 didn't feel a connection to the team because they weren't able to go to games. And these are people who maybe they weren't full-season ticket holders, like you know, full-season ticket holders, but certainly season seat holders or people who go to double-digit games a year. And there just seemed to be something about the fact that people were not able to attend the games live that resulted in kind of an exponentially in there not being as much interest. So that's that, that, that continues on what we were talking about earlier. Why does baseball want fans in the stands? Well, there's a lot of reasons. There's a lot of reasons. And it's not just simply because they want to sell more tickets and they want to sell more hot dogs, and they want to sell more beer, and they want to sell more jerseys and whatever else. They want the interest in the sport to be as high as possible. They want those television ratings to be as high as possible because television ratings are what dictate ad sales. And that's what they that's what they want, that's what they need, and they feel like there's a connection. I'm not one to always agree with Rob Manford. If you listen to me much, you know that. I'm not his biggest fan. But I think Manfred's right when he talks about the uh, the the domino effect of not having fans in the stands and the overall interest in the game. I think it's kind of interesting. All right, uh, we'll try to get into the coaching uh, changes that were made on the Brewers staff this uh, here recently, and uh, we will do that next. I'll give you my thoughts on maybe why some moves were not made that some people wanted them to make. We'll do that next. This is Brewers Weekly. More Brewers Weekly with Matt Foley coming up on WTMJ. W277-CV and WTMJ Milwaukee. From the Annex Wealth Management Studios, this is News Radio WTMJ. This is Brewers Weekly with Matt Foley on WTMJ. Just a few minutes left here in the program. Wanted to touch on the uh, coaching staff changes that were made this year by the Brewers. This announcement. We haven't had a show since uh, since the announcement was made. Ed Cedar moved into a position where he is going to be serving as a basically as a consultant to the Major League staff, but he's not going to be technically on the Major League staff anymore. He'll be in uniform before games, things like that, be part of spring training. But his role has changed. Quinton Barry, who is somebody who the organization really thinks highly of, is going to be a base coach now, essentially taking over for Ed Cedar. They're still deciding uh, if it's going to be him or Jason Lane, what's one are going to be coaching first and third. The big move was the one that wasn't made, and a lot of people were calling for the firing of Andy Haynes, the Brewers' hitting coach. It's hard to evaluate a hitting coach anyways. I think it's impossible to evaluate a hitting coach, or any coach for that matter, in a 60-game season. There's just not enough. Now, the Brewers just had 
their worst offensive year ever. And there's there's no running away from that. But as you hear me mention almost every single program, they just had their worst offensive year ever, and they were second in the National League Central in hitting. So everybody had a horrible year, seemingly, from a hitting standpoint. Uh, if, if they have another year like that, I think we're probably having a different conversation this time next season. But the organization believes in Andy Haynes. They believe in Jacob Cruz. And I am one that when it comes to coaches, give coaches time. Give coaches time. And more often than not, a coach with some longevity in their position turns out to be someone who's uh, pretty good at their job. And Haynes gets another year. He gets at least one more year, and we'll see what they're able to do with that moving forward. That is going to do it for this week's program. Thanks so much for being tuned in. Look forward to talking to you again next week for another edition here of Brewers Weekly on WTMJ. You've been listening to Brewers Weekly with Matt Foley on WTMJ. WTMJ.